paid our ransom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Children, you are now dismissed, and as they are being dismissed, if you would just turn to your neighbor and say hello. It is always good to see community happening, everyone saying hello. If we could just give it up for Mary Gillenwater coming back. This is her first Sunday back since Christmas because she was uh, stuck in Ecuador for a while. Uh, we are glad she is back with us, although she's probably not glad she's coming back to snow. Uh, we are glad she has returned uh, to us. Well, it is uh, a Palm Sunday morning, and it wouldn't be Palm Sunday if we didn't talk about the triumphal entry. And so that is where we are going to be this Sunday as we look at the humble king, understanding who Jesus is. Let us pray, and then we will jump into the word of the Lord together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so much for the cross. As we look to the cross and we look to the resurrection this week, I pray that we won't miss the reality of who you are. The understanding of who Jesus is and why he came and what his coming means for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is with us and in us. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning and that we will come to your word and be transformed, not just informed. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was a freshman at Nyack College, I was also a server at Don Pablo's, a Mexican restaurant. Some of you are saying, I don't remember my freshman year of college. Some of you are saying, I haven't yet experienced my freshman year of college. But if you are a freshman or were a freshman, you need to get a job, all right? And that's just important. I had a job at Don Pablo's serving tables every evening, and it was a wonderful Mexican restaurant. I learned how to make guacamole. I learned how to make tortillas. I learned how to make sopapillas. I still use all of those things in my life today, feeding my family, uh, especially on vacation when we're okay eating fattier foods, right? But there was this one day. I was in New York, and Nyack is in New York, and we were in the Palisades Mall. Don Pablo's was at the fourth level, and we had all kinds of people in New York, very diverse area of New York, different accents, different places of the boroughs of, of New York, and every borough has its own significant accent, okay, especially Brooklyn. If you ever go to Brooklyn, people have a Brooklyn accent. And there was this one woman who was at my table. Remember, it is a Mexican restaurant. She was sitting at my table, and she came and asked me for salsa. Right Now, to me, I'm at a Mexican restaurant. I'm a server at a Mexican restaurant. I say, okay. So I go back, and I grab a thing of salsa. I put it on her table, right next to the other full thing of salsa. She says, sir, I just need some salsa. Like, 
It's a lot of salsa. I don't think you have enough chips for all the salsa you have, but I say, okay, I'm an obedient server. I want a good tip. I go, and I bring another third thing of salsa next to the other two that are completely full. As I'm walking away, the the lady grabs my arm gently, not harshly, and she says, okay, you're clearly not from Brooklyn. You're probably not even from New York. Like, nope, Pennsylvania, born and bred. She's like, so I thought. She said, so let me put this in language that a person from Pennsylvania will understand. I need a seltzer. Seltzer. Seltzer water, please. <laughs> she was not saying salsa. She was saying seltzer. And you know, that's what it was. So finally, I go and I grab the seltzer water. I put a nice little lemon and a nice lime on there, try to make it look really nice. And I deliver it, and she's very grateful that I understood finally what she was trying to say. Well, I share that because you and I often can misunderstand people. And sometimes when we misunderstand, we bring the wrong item that they're asking for, right? Or we do the wrong thing. The spouse sends us to the store, and they give us three things that we're supposed to buy. We come back with Oreos and nothing else. We misunderstood. Whoops. (laughs) Right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? But we we can misunderstand people often. We can even misunderstand God. As God is revealing himself through the word, as God is describing himself through the scriptures, as we experience the Holy Spirit of God speaking to us, we can sometimes misunderstand what he is saying or what he is doing. I say that because as we come to this story, Palm Sunday, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he was misunderstood. The people that were there celebrating him, we will see, did not fully understand what Jesus was saying as he was coming into Jerusalem. Everything that he did, from the donkey he rode on to the time he came into the city, was explaining something to the people, and they missed it. He was not the king that they were hoping for. And often in our lives, the king we want isn't always the king that we need. They thought that they needed a political warrior king to come in and take over Roman occupation, annihilate the Roman Caesar, and put the throne back into Jerusalem. That is what they were hoping for. But that is not who they got. So the question that we have to answer this morning as we come to this passage in Matthew, as we see Jesus riding on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem, seeing people celebrate him in a way that they totally misunderstood, we have to ask the question, what kind of king is Jesus? If he's not going to be the king that we want, but the king that we need, what kind of king is Jesus? And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. We'll have it on the screen. Those of you who are at home, it'll be on your screen as well. Whatever you're watching on, it'll show up. But if you have your Bible and you'd like to open there, please do so. Matthew chapter 21. Verses 1 through 11. The word of the Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble 
and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus enters the city. He knew why he was there. The people that were there expected that they knew, thought that they knew why he was there. But they missed the point. They missed the point. What kind of king is Jesus? The first thing that we can see is that Jesus is a king of peace and humility. Jesus is a king of peace and humility. If you were to go back into Roman uh, ideals of kingship, of warrior kings, of war, and all of these things, you would see that when a king, Caesar, would come into a city riding on a horse, a war horse, followed by chariots or leading chariots that he would follow, there would be a celebration that the king has come back and has destroyed the enemy and has created more Rome for the world. There would be celebrations. There would be flower petals dropping. There would be singing all over the city of Rome. And this is exactly what these folks are trying to replicate as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem. But they missed the fact that Jesus was not riding a war horse. He was riding a donkey. And Jesus' purposeful choice of a donkey. We see that it was premeditated. It wasn't an accident, like, try and get the big horse. Oh, we didn't get the big horse. Just go for the donkey then. Ugh. Fine, i got to ride in there on something. Right? No, that was not at all what happened. If Jesus wanted a horse, he would have had a horse. Jesus wanted a donkey. And so he rides in on a donkey. These folks were longing for a king who would take them out of occupation. That would free them from their exile into Rome. They thought that the Messiah that would come would be the king that would free them from all of their pain, all of their struggle, all of the laws of Rome. And so they put all of their hopes in this one moment. They had just heard that Jesus had raised someone from the dead. They had just heard of the miraculous things that Jesus had done. Lazarus was walking around showing that he was alive and that Jesus had the power to bring the dead back to life. So they wanted in on this power. They wanted this Jesus to be the king that they hoped for so much that they missed the fact that he was riding a donkey. They had been looking at Scripture with a pair of glasses to fit their longing rather than looking at the scripture the way it was intended. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, this is for the purpose of fulfilling 
prophecy that I will come in riding a donkey. This was in the prophet's words. They should have anticipated and expected this Isaiah moment to be exactly what was supposed to be happening. But they didn't read the scriptures the way they should have. They read it with their own lens that they had on, hoping that this would be the moment. But if you understand Isaiah, especially 53, you will see that Jesus was the Messiah that was prophesied about that would be a suffering servant. The one who would ride in on the donkey would be the suffering servant. Had they known that Jesus was going to come and do what Jesus eventually did during Holy Week, they might have shouted, crucify him, a lot earlier than they did. A commentator, Kossenberger, describes what early Palestinians would have understood about a donkey that these folks just completely did not want to see. Two associations with the donkey were dominant in first century Palestine, humility and peace. The donkey was a symbol of peace in this time. A donkey was a symbol of humility. The donkey was not a symbol of war. Yet, they wanted it to be a symbol of war. In this passage also, Jesus reveals the purposeful nature of the donkey. The donkey is also a beast of burden. Jesus was declaring not only is he a king that is humble, not only is he a king that comes to bring peace, but Jesus is a burden-bearing king. We have a burden-bearing king. What burdens do you have in your life this morning? Jesus wants to carry those. What burdens are weighing you down that you just don't think that you can carry any longer? Jesus is a king who wants to take those burdens off of you and onto himself. He was telling the Israelites, I have not come to free you from Rome. I've come to bear the burden and the weight of your sin. I've come to bear the burden and the weight of your depression, of your anxiety, of your frustration. I have come to bear the burden of all the things that you've been trying to hold that you are not able or capable or strong enough to hold. I say to you this morning, Whatever burden you have in your life, Jesus desires to carry for you. Stop trying to strive on your own. You can't do it. Only Jesus can bear the burdens that you're trying to bear in your life. Only Jesus can bring the freedom to the burdens that are in your life. We have a burden-bearing King. The Greek word, Hosanna, that they were shouting and that we sang earlier. In the Greek, it means that He has come to save. He has come to help us. Hosanna, this is a Savior. Now, their idea of what salvation was that Jesus was representing was wrong. Jesus was one to save us from Satan's sin and death and the burdens with which weigh us down in this earthly space. That is not the salvation they wanted. But it is the salvation that they needed. Sometimes it's not the salvation that we want, but it is the salvation that we need. 
You and I need to be freed from Satan, sin, and death. We need Christ's blood. We need the new covenant. We need the power of resurrection and the spirit of the living God living within us in order to do that which we've called to do. You can never live this life fully to how you were created without salvation in Jesus. They wanted free from Rome, but Jesus came to free them from a bigger enemy. He came to free them for eternity. How could they miss this aspect? Jesus was a Jewish carpenter riding on a donkey in an occupied city. He didn't shout, I'm here to destroy the Romans. He rode in quietly. He didn't even like give claps of applause for what they were doing. Yes, yes, you're right. Hosanna to me. Hosanna to me. No, he just rode in. He rode in. But all of what he did was a prophetic image of the king that he was and is. They may have shouted Hosanna, but it wasn't because they understood his identity and purpose. Freedom, according to them, was freedom for a king to serve their desires. They wanted a king who would do exactly what they wanted for them. But that's not the type of king that we have. Freedom, according to Jesus, is a freedom to serve the true king. When you, are, you and I are set free from the burden of Satan, sin, and death, there is a passionate well within us that desires to serve the king. When we fully understand the weight and the fullness of which we've been freed from, there is a passionate desire that wells up within us to serve the true king. There's not this sense of, okay, now I'm saved, now you serve me. You do everything I want you to do. I'm God, you're not. That is us above God, not with God. That is not how we function or can function. You have not been eternally existent. You do not have all power. You cannot be at all places at all times. Although many times we try or think that we can be. Only He can. We live to serve Him. Jesus came in humility as a king who serves. You see, they were tired of being occupied by Rome, but they didn't know who their true enemy was. Jesus initially came to heal the brokenness within that produces the brokenness without. These people were broken. Just like you and I, they experienced brokenness, pain, loss, anxiety, fear, frustration, not knowing what is coming tomorrow and worrying about that day. They did not see that he came to deal with the brokenness within rather than the brokenness without. My friends, you and I, we need a king who is going to deal with the brokenness inside. Jesus is a king who deals with the heart. Jesus said during Passion Week, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. He knew his purpose was not to wage war on the Romans, but to wage war on the enemy 
of our hearts. Too often, we want God to deal with everything out there. And we want him to ignore everything that's going on inside. We live in a broken world. We live in a pain-inducing world. We live in an imperfect time, in an imperfect place, in an imperfect culture. And that produces deep pain within us. Jesus is a king who wants to heal your heart. The fear and the anxiety, the brokenness and the pain, the worry of what is happening, what will happen, what has happened. He desires to bring healing to all of it. Stop focusing on what's going on outside and invite the Holy Spirit on what's going inside. Because when your heart is transformed, your life will be transformed. The things that are bothering you outside, when your heart is changed, will not seem to have the same power that they have when your heart is unchanged. The enemy wants to lie to you, to get you to think that God doesn't care, that there's no way that you can be free of your pain, anxiety, frustration, depression, but all of that is a lie. We have a king who deals with the heart. I love what one pastor once said. Our internal reality was always meant to impact and define our external reality. Which means that God, when he deals with the internal aspects of our heart, that which is external in our lives, how we react, how we see things, how we internalize things, will be transformed. And when we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, he is declaring to you and to me and to those who completely missed it that he is a king who will change, transform your heart, take on your burdens, and then he'll give you the ability, once you are transformed internally, to see the true powerlessness of all the things externally. Those things in your life that seem to be so powerful compared to God are weak and powerless. Now, it seems interesting that a, a carpenter in an occupied country riding on a donkey could really be that powerful. But remember, he just raised a man from the dead. He just fed over 5,000 people. He did wonderful and miraculous things. And they were thinking too small. How often when it comes to God do we think too small? How often do we put God in a little bit of a box and don't allow Him to be the fullness of God in our life that He desires to be? Jesus is the King who deals with our hearts. We want a King that makes life easier rather than bringing healing, conviction, and transformation in our lives. But Jesus is a king who deals with our hearts because our hearts need transforming. If you were to pause and take some time and ask the Holy Spirit the areas with which he needs to wrestle and deal with you on, I guarantee that you'll get at least one answer, if not more than one. 
you and I need the transforming power of the living God on a daily basis. This is why we are to consistently lay down our lives daily, as Romans 12 reminds us, as living sacrifices. Because every day we are going to continually try in our human nature to pick up our burdens, to pick up our striving, to pick up everything that we have laid down at the foot of the King. Every morning we need to lay those down again and again and again. Our hearts need transforming. Our hearts need it wrestled with and dealt with and healed. You see, these folks, they look like legitimate worship. But if you really were to dig down into what they were worshiping, they were worshiping themselves. You and I are to worship the King, inviting Him into every aspect of our lives. The reason for Lent Some of you have been following along in our Lenten series on Facebook where we've done a video of about four to five minutes a day and we talk about specific aspects of Scripture that deal with Lent that challenge us to continuously lay down things in anticipation of His return, anticipation of His resurrection. Lent is a time to let those things down so that we can focus on the fullness of who God is where we purposely set aside space and time or things to reflect and remember what Christ has done for us and what the cross and resurrection really mean in our lives and in this world. I encourage you this week as we look at Holy Week, ask the Holy Spirit what is something that you can fast from to help you really narrow in and focus on the true meaning of Easter. As we reflect on Holy Week through our Facebook videos, as we reflect on Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, and even on Saturday as we celebrate with the kids at Poets Village. Let us remember what Christ has done and what it really and truly means. Lent is a time of knowing we are withholding, so we purposely set aside time to be in the position of letting go. The great thing about Jesus is that He isn't the King that we want, but He is the King that we need. Jesus is also a king who gets dirty. This is one of the most transforming and powerful realities of Jesus' life. It was those last moments that Jesus had with his disciples that we read about in the book of John, chapter 13 through 16. We're really going to focus on the Last Supper and the time that Jesus spent with his disciples on Thursday. But he was a king who got dirty. If you were to really understand the full weight of Jesus washing the disciples' feet and what that really was signifying, it would blow your mind. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and he did it through serving. He did it through dying. He did it through loving. How different would our lives be if we chose to reflect Jesus in getting dirty, by getting down into the the muck of people's lives, the mess of their lives and walk alongside them to hear what's going on and really truly love them? What would it look like if we chose to serve one another more than trying to get ourselves served? What would it look like if we came to the king who got dirty, to the king who served and stepped down? What would it look like if we said, Jesus, how can I serve you more 
How can I no longer ask you to serve me, but how can I ask myself and you how I can serve you better? We'll focus more on that on Thursday, and I hope you come if you're capable. Because it is a powerful time of reflecting together in somber reflection of what Jesus did, who Jesus was. Jesus is a king who gets dirty. Jesus was misunderstood because he served. It was weird that Jesus would do this. In fact, if you read that passage in John 13, when he gets down to wash the disciples' feet, even the disciples had a hard time understanding what was going on. They still anticipated him to be the Messiah that they wanted him to be. The disciples themselves had a a, a misinformed view of who Jesus was. That is why they scattered and were terrified when he died. Because they're like, oh, the jig is up. I guess this wasn't what we really thought it was. And Peter tried to tell Jesus, don't wash my feet. I'm supposed to wash yours. It was confusing. But Jesus came to serve. Remember, he came on a donkey. All of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem was a prophetic picture, screaming to the people and to us the type of king that he is. Last week, we talked about how we are to serve. And I want you to see that Jesus reigns with the heart of a servant and serves with the heart of a king. He is passionate about you. He loves you. He desires your transformation, your healing. He desires to make you new. He rules with the heart of a servant. Not so that he's at our beck and call, where he serves us the way we want him to, but he serves us the way that we need to be served. He is a burden-bearing king. He meets us in our mess and cleanses us from it. What are the areas in your life that you need God to transform? That only He can. Where is the brokenness in your heart that you need healed from? What are the burdens that you need to release? Jesus is a king who wants to heal. Jesus is a king who wants to transform. Jesus is a king who wants to see you made new. Cast your burdens upon him. Do not hold those for yourself because they will weigh you down. As we look at the triumphal entry, let us remember the kind of king that he is. As we approach Good Friday and Easter, may we reflect and remember the type of king that Jesus is truly is, and may it transform our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will seek to live under the rule of this humble king. Even though it will require surrender, pray that we'll lay it all down. 
I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that the burdens that we're holding, you will tell us this morning and encourage us to lay them down and give them to our burden-bearing King. 